Get involved early in your career in some aspect of organized vet medicine. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. Welcome to the first episode of the mini-series for recent graduates. If you're involved in TVMA, AVMA, or your local VMA at some level, you're involved in organized veterinary medicine. Simple as that. Playing a role in organized veterinary medicine allows you to join the conversation, whether it's a dialogue about legislation, animal welfare, or One Health, you have a voice and it deserves to be heard. You also get to make an impact on the profession and most importantly, build meaningful relationships. Incorporating this into your life can provide you with opportunities and connections you wouldn't have otherwise. This is especially crucial for recent graduates as well as veterinary students. Organized veterinary medicine helps with cultivating professional development, reducing feelings of isolation by having a tight-knit veterinary community, and securing jobs and other opportunities down the line. Dr. Will McCauley experienced this firsthand. As a recent graduate back in 2012, he sought involvement in organized veterinary medicine because he felt like something was missing. Being involved really helped him and also made a difference in the profession. He is a big advocate for getting involved early on in your career, and that is what this episode is about. Before we delve into this topic, let's learn a little bit more about Dr. Will McCauley. I am the director of the veterinary biologic section at the Animal Health Institute, or AHI. AHI is a Washington, D.C.-based trade association that represents the manufacturers of veterinary drugs and vaccines uh, in the U.S., uh, and kind of to describe my role, the, the easiest way to think about it is I act as the go-between for the companies that make vaccines. So Zoetis, Behringer Ingelheim, Merck, Lanco, as well as some smaller firms, um, and the branch of the USDA that regulates veterinary vaccines in the U.S. Okay. And when and where did you graduate? I graduated from Texas A&M uh, three different times, undergrad in 2007, uh, from their MBA program in 2010, and of course, veterinary school in 2012. Okay, so were you getting your MBA and DVM at the same time? Uh, sort of. So A&M has um, a, a really innovative program there where it's kind of a partnership between the vet school and the business school. <clears throat> um, so the way it works is you go to your first two years of vet school, uh, um, just like everybody else, uh, and then between your second and third year, you actually go across the street to the business school, and you do an accelerated MBA program. So instead of the usual 16 months it takes to, to complete the program, you do an accelerated one, and you finish it in 12 months. Oh. So you do the full MBA program, the same expectations as everybody else, um, but that allows you to go back over to the vet school. Um, you, you drop down a class, so you join the class that was originally behind you, and then okay. you finish out your last two years of vet school. Wow. So was that one year, did you enjoy that as like a break from other sorts of classes? Like how was that year like compared to veterinary school? 
Um, I wouldn't say it was easy um, just because I had no experience in the, the world of business and management and stuff like that. I, before MBA, the MBA program, I had, I think, one personal finance course in undergrad, and that was it. Because like so many veterinarians, um, I, I tracked animal science. That was my major. So I was very uh, into you know, the, the science aspect of things. and didn't really take a whole lot of management or business classes. Um, so it was a big change of gears for me and that that was definitely challenging and and frustrating at times um but the you know the the insight that the years have given me since uh going through it made it very clear that it was a very valuable thing for me to do and i'm very happy i did it i'm sure it makes you more marketable in the when you're looking for jobs it does it definitely stands out you know um it, it it's not like I had to have that to do my current job, but I do think it gives me a different perspective on stuff. I can kind of, um, I can kind of follow along on the conversations that our member firms have when they're talking about, uh, you know, the profitability of this project versus this one, and the weight that they assess what projects undertake, what products to pursue, what areas to get into, and what not to. Um, I don't know if I would have that same level of um, of insight if I hadn't done the MBA program that that A and M offered. Okay. And why did you choose to pursue your MBA? You know, the uh, the MBA folks came over to the vet school and really promoted the program well. Um, I always knew that I, well, I didn't know. I kind of had the sense that I wanted to um, expand my opportunities once I did get out in the world and, and get done with school. Um, I had imagined being a clinician, you know, just like many people do kind of all my life. Um, I worked in a vet clinic when I was in high school and just imagined being a practitioner and then maybe a cardiologist or a surgeon or something like that. But I always knew that I wanted to um, have a little more, um, a little more training in the, those soft skills, the communication, the leadership, uh, marketing, finance, stuff like that, that, you know, I, I'm sure it'd be great for all veterinarians to have that level of education, but there's already so much stuff packed into vet school. There's yeah. just not time for it. You know, adding on another year to the veterinary education, it's not something everybody wants or, or really needs um, if they do plan on doing some different tracks, but I knew I wanted um, you know, a, little, a little more education in those, uh, those different areas, and thankfully A&M, like I said, had that program where it made it pretty seamless for me to go over to the business school, do the MBA program, made a lot of good contacts over there, learned some amazing things, and then come back and finish out vet school um, at, you know, the two years after. And so you graduated from veterinary school about eight years ago? Yes, uh, in, yep, in 2012. Okay, so tell me how you felt right after graduating. Um, I guess a little overwhelmed. I think most recent grads will say that uh, they felt overwhelmed when they first, um, you know, the the novelty of walking off that stage a doctor, once that kind of goes away, you're like, oh God, I, I have to go out there and, and really walk the walk now. Um, I did a, a small animal internship, a rotating internship out in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and so as plenty of people will say about the internship experience, that's kind of uh, drinking from a fire hose, even more so than vet school is sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and it can lead to plenty of frustrations. And I have mixed opinions on everybody doing internships um, after vet school, but I, 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 you know, whatever path led me here, here I am, and I'm in a great spot now, I believe. Okay. Um, and so something you wanted to discuss is how organized veterinary medicine helped you as a recent graduate. 
how how is that so yeah so getting back to that internship year um it was i, I think it was December or maybe January of my internship year, and, and like many people who do internships, I was exhausted and broke and just real downtrodden because all the, my entire life kind of circulated around that clinic or those clinics I was working at um, out there in Charlotte. Um, and it didn't, I, I guess that aspect of it, just the clinical aspect of it, didn't really deliver those intrinsic benefits that I knew I would need to 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 be happy just uh, being a clinician my entire life. And so I started looking for opportunities to kind of do other things. And thankfully, I was clicking around on the AVMA's website and found a um, uh, an, a request for volunteers to join a new committee that they were making. The committee was called the Early Career Development Committee, and it would be staffed up with recent graduates and um, kind of emerging leaders, the folks who are early in their career, but they know that they want to get started and kind of get um, inculcated into organized vet medicine. Um, you know, the, for a long time, the way people, at least in my sense, people would get involved with the AVMA, for instance, was they would, after school, they'd go out and practice for 15, 20 years, buy a clinic, kind of get that going, and then they would start looking into joining a committee within their state VMA or their local VMA and kind of work their way up to the national level. And, and that works good. You get a lot of experience, a lot of insight from that. But the problem is um, it, it takes so long to get to that national level sometimes that a lot of people don't get that opportunity. Um, there's only so many spots within those state and local VMAs that you might not make it up to the level where you um, had a presence on the national stage. The Early Career Development Committee, the ECDC, um, kind of served as a, a fast track to get you on board with what the AVMA was doing, kind of familiarize you with how the AVMA is structured, how it works. Um, it gave you exposure to other aspects of organized vet medicine. Um, and, and that's what I really think is sometimes missing when we talk about things veterinarians should be doing early in their career. We always say, you know, be sure to have your finances in place and take care of your um, you know, uh, mental wellness and emotional well-being, and those are all very true. But don't, you know, just don't just say, you know what, I'm going to um, just stay in this clinic or this practice or even this industry job and not keep trying to expand my boundaries. Keep looking for other ways to get involved with other veterinarians, with um, other stakeholders and the issues we deal with. Um, and so I, I highly recommend that Anybody listening to this podcast or, you know, hearing about it otherwise, get involved early in your career in some aspect of organized vet medicine. It can be as easy as, you know, joining one small committee at your local VMA. So if you're in um, Phoenix or Denver and there's a, a local veterinary medical association there, start going to those meetings early. Start start making introductions to the leadership uh, there and let them know you're interested in learning more about their organization, kind of what the, you know, what um, you can provide to their discussions because recent grads have a lot of valuable input. We, we, we don't really recognize that all the time, but a lot of organizations are looking for our input on topics. And if you're the one that's going out and actively seeking and actively looking to make that input, you are good as gold. Um, people really want to hear from us. So I, I highly recommend that people start at whatever level. Um, and, and I can talk about all the programs that have been pushed out and all that, but that might take us into, uh, you know, six or seven episodes. Yeah. 
So how early did you get involved in organized veterinary medicine? Yeah, so right away that uh, I applied for the Early Career Development Committee, and thankfully I was uh, selected as kind of their, their first crop um, of um, recent grads to join. And so um, I believe our first meeting was that spring. So it had been the spring of 2013. Um, I was, they actually fly everybody out to um, the AVMA's headquarters in Schaumburg, Illinois. And um, I sat in on a few meetings. I was actually um, elected to be the first chair of the ECDC and helped to put a lot of structure in place and try to define what we were gonna do. And so I, I thankfully got involved really early in my career. Um, and I say thankfully because it led to all the other things I was able to do that led me to my job today. Um, I was able to make the right contacts um, at AVMA as well as at TVMA. Um, I was eventually um, able to take part in the TVMA's inaugural Power of Ten um, Leadership Development Initiative, um, which I, I hope is still going on. That was a great program. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of, you know, it kind of snowballs like that. One thing leads to another, leads to another until finally you arrive at, you know, wherever you want to be and you keep building. Um, so, you know, I'd say that it really comes down to that very first step, putting that application in um, and, and trying to join whatever committee or group you think will help you out the most. And I, I say to do it earlier in your career, and I realize, you know, it's busy at the beginning of our career, I'll use myself as an example. Look at me. I was an intern at a 36,000 case a year practice group. I was busy as anybody else out there. And I, I got a few, um, you know, eyebrow raises when I told my clinicians, hey, I'm going to be gone for three days um, to go to the AVMA headquarters for this committee. You know, you're kind of expected as an intern to essentially devote your life to that clinic for a year and, and almost live there and, and do everything for them. Um, but it's very important that recent grads out in a practice or interns or folks who are going right into industry, you need to keep an eye out for yourself. You know, you need to be take responsibility for your own professional development, because if you don't push for that, no one else is going to. Got it. Um, and why do you think you were elected to take on that leadership position out of, I don't know how many people were already interested in being in the program. Why do you think you stood out? Um, I guess I'd have to ask the nomination committee. Uh, I, I'm, I come off pretty good on paper. Um, I hope um, listeners will agree I'm um, pretty articulate and I can kind of uh, voice my opinions and my ideas in a way that makes sense to people. Um, so when we had that very first uh, meeting, you know, we all sat down and tried to, de to describe what we wanted to get out of the ECDC, what we wanted it to stand for and what we wanted to do. Um, and I was able to help lead some of those conversations and um, you know, thankfully, I um, earned the trust of my other members, and they um, voted me as chair, mm -hmm. and uh, and that opened a lot of doors. But you know, it's I, I don't attribute it to any one thing. You know, it may be it may be luck, could have been, but regardless, here I am. I I'm a big believer that you kind of make your own luck. You mm -hmm. put yourself in situations where you're, you know, again, this thing will lead to this other thing, which will lead to this other thing, and if you're patient and consistent with what you do you know, sooner or later, you're going to get that break. Yeah. And, you know, veterinary students can get involved in TVMA, you know, as soon as their first year. Um, so tell me about that, your involvement with TVMA. 
uh, well, it's going to be disappointing because I was not really involved with TVMA or SAVMA as a student. I was, um, I guess, one of those, um, I don't want to say slacker, but I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't get involved in organized vet med in school. Um, and who knows where that could have led if I had. Um, and, and there's two lessons to learn from there. One, I definitely wish, wish that I had. I wish that I had done way more with TVMA when I was a student um, and got kind of on that path quicker. But the, the other side of that coin is if you don't do that in school, you're not, you know, it's not going to be a, a curse you have to carry around. You're not behind the eight ball. There's other opportunities to step into. Um, and if you want to start with a TVMA, the TVMA, I'm probably biased on this, but I think it's probably one of the best state veterinary medical associations around there. And I've met a lot of folks involved in a lot of state VMAs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the leadership there is just very dedicated to getting their recent grads up to speed and kind of um, incorporate them into a lot of different initiatives they're putting forward. Um, and I think they should be commended for that um, in a lot of ways. Uh, are you also involved in the DC VMA? I am. So um, as, as part of my role um, up here in Washington, DC, I actually represent the District of Columbia in the AVMA's House of Representatives. Um, and I was elected to that position by the members of the, the District of Columbia Veterinary Medical Association. Um, so I stay involved in that regard. Um, I just got back from the ABMA's Veterinary Leadership Conference. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I don't know if I would have would have had the um, the confidence to go after that House of Delegates position if I hadn't done all the the legwork and been involved in committees and councils and stuff beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a you know the House of Delegates is a pretty pretty large, pretty um, visible body at the AVMA. And to kind of step into that at this point in my career, it's, uh, it, it's a blessing to do it so young um, and to be able to have a, a, what I think is a real impact on vet medicine. Mm -hmm. And how do you think all your experiences with, experiences with organized veterinary medicine have helped you professionally and personally? I guess I'll start with personally first. You know, when I was out so I practiced for five years before um, getting this job up in Washington and, and stepping out of the clinic. Um, I was a small animal and exotics practitioner um, in Dallas, and it, it can be very isolating. Uh, it really can be, and this you know, might lead to another conversation we might have on mental wellness and, um, and burnout and maybe career transition. But the, the idea that you know, I put – so much value and so much my personal worth on this image I had of being a practitioner or being a clinician of being that, you know, I guess, hometown vet. Um, and when that didn't uh, give me the sense of satisfaction that I needed, it, it left this hole inside me. It left this, um, I guess this, uh, you know, something left to be on, to be done, something undone that needed to do. Um, and I was able to kind of steer that towards the organized veterinary medicine um, route um, and thankfully, all the structures all set up. I didn't have to do a whole lot except go find those opportunities and apply for them, and you know, and, and get uh, get on them. And then they kind of take it from there. Um, you know, I mentioned the TVMA's Power of Ten uh, Leadership Development Initiative um, that was run when I was doing it by Dr. Wade Burton, um, who just did a great job bringing in speakers and uh, getting us involved in kind of the legislative process. I mean, we went to um, went to the Capitol in Austin on uh, like a legislator outreach day. And that was great. That was great to be able for me as a, 
a practitioner at the time to go and, and talk to these legislators and tell them, hey, these, uh, these laws and these bills that you're working on, they'll have a real effect on me and my, uh, you know, my professional allies in, in the profession of veterinary medicine. And so I was able to kind of walk them through, use that scientific part of my brain and kind of educate them a little more on stuff that affects the everyday practitioner. So it sounds like organized veterinary medicine helped fill a gap or void in your life. Um, I mean, I think of the associations as a network, a network, a community, um, having camaraderie and, and friends. Um, so do you feel like that was something that helped address feelings of isolation? Yeah, definitely. It definitely did. Um, for, you know, for the, the reason you mentioned, you do meet great friends, great people who can, um, you can bounce ideas off of, you can talk about your shared, um, you know, shared emotions as clinicians and practitioners. You know, it wasn't just me experiencing this. It was other people too. It was other people that I'd gone to school with had the same sense of sometimes isolation or I don't want to describe um, boredom, but maybe restriction in, um, you know, what you're able to achieve. There are you know, regardless of the size of the clinic you work in, or I guess depending on the size of the clinic you work in, um, there might be a limit to how much you can improve, you know, how much, um, what you can step into and how much growth you can achieve. But if you're able to get that sense of growth and do more and help uh, improve the profession through organized veterinary medicine, that gave me just a great sense of satisfaction. I was thinking, you know, in my day-to-day -day job, I might not be moving up the ranks like I want to be. There might not be the opportunity for advancement that I hope for at this particular clinic I'm at. But, you know, every day and every month and every year, I'm involved in more and more stuff on the organized vet med side, and that's leading to new opportunities. And at some point, I'm going to cash in on that. I'm going to, you know, network properly and use those contacts and those skills I made to, to switch out of the clinic, to get out and, and go on the non-clinic side. And that's what I did, and it's been it's been great. I you know I and I want to make sure to make it clear um, I'm in no way trying to downgrade what clinicians do. I, I take my animals to clinicians, you know, practitioners now. Um, I have the utmost respect for people who practice clinical medicine, uh, you know, for their entire career. They're they're the best of the best. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, it's not a um, a sin or a failure to have the sense that I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, I had to give myself permission, I guess, to, to leave the clinic and to go that non-clinical route and realize, hey, I'm still a veterinarian. I still have those three magical letters at the end of my name, um, and it's not like I'm walking away from the profession. Um, in some sense, I feel my job today, I have a, a much bigger impact on the health of animals and, uh, and people and agriculture than I ever could have as a clinician. And so, you know, if there's one thing I can say to people who may be struggling with that sense of isolation and maybe the discouragement they might feel by being, you know, practitioners and clinicians, um, is the idea that, look, switching out of that and going into another role, you're not quitting veterinary medicine, you're, you're evolving, you know, you're, uh, and if you go, a lot of the jobs that you're going to go do, you're really expanding the boundaries of what it means to be a veterinarian. You know, I can rattle off people all day long, veterinarians who work um, like at the FDA on approving um, human vaccines um, and, and testing and diagnostics and ones that work um, overseas in, um, you know, disease monitoring and, and all these amazing jobs veterinarians do, they're outside the clinic, but they're no less veterinarians than 
you know, anybody, you know, any surgeon or internist that you could ever see. Um, so don't, uh, I tell people, don't restrict yourself to what you think it means to be a veterinarian, because the definition of veterinarian and what you, we can do with this degree, it's, uh, it, it's pretty expansive and pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And our first episode is about redefining success in veterinary medicine, where I spoke with Dr. Lori Teller and Dr. Nancy Turner about their idea of what being a veterinarian was like before they um, even started vet school, which was to be a practice owner. And then both of them went through this experience where they had to um, find something that worked better for them. And I, and you know, it was very difficult for them. So that was, that's a great example of what you're talking about. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Turner and Dr. Teller are good friends of mine. Um, you know, I, told Dr. Teller this, she's definitely um, a mentor of mine that I kind of look to for um, insight and, you know, kind of advice on on a lot of different things. Uh, And that's a perfect example. You know, they're expanding what it means to be a veterinarian and to deliver, essentially deliver value to society through our our education. Um, So it's um, redefining success. Yeah, that's, that's a great you know, I, I haven't listened to that episode. I, I'm definitely going to go back and listen to that episode uh, and hear that one because that's a great thing to focus on, especially for folks who may be considering changing up what they do in, in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really encouraging to hear your peers are going through something that you're feeling, um, which is really special about the podcast because then you're finding out, you know, you're not alone. So it's just another avenue to hear from your, from your peers. Um, and so my next question was actually about mentorship. Um, who are your mentors? Because I'm sure that's helpful having at least one or two, like Dr. Teller, um, as you enter the workforce or are already like a couple years in. Yeah. And, you know, the mentor, the mentor mentee um, you know, topic or discussion, I think it gets clouded sometimes with the idea that you have to have one mentor that you say, hey, you're my mentor, I'm your mentee, you know tell me everything I need to know. That's really, in the real world, that's not what that relationship looks like. You get bits and pieces of information and, and advice and guidance from a lot of different people in a lot of different roles. Um, you know, I could count probably three dozen people who I would say have, have had as much effect on me as the others as I move along uh, in my career. And so, you know, if for folks who are um, in a setting either at a clinic or at a company or doing whatever with their degree, and they don't have, you know, one person that they can go to with uh, questions and advice, um, don't count that as a failed, um, you know, a failure on your part, because I guarantee there's probably at least half a dozen to a dozen other people who you may not be quite as close with, you may not, um, you know, be as comfortable with addressing these issues, but that's how you get comfortable with them. You send them one email about one aspect of something and just try to get their feel for it, and that builds and that grows, and then they put you in touch with other people, and then you get more input um, so that, you know, the idea that, you know, it's going to be a one-on-one pairing of a mentor and a mentee, I, I, I think those days are gone. That might have worked very well back in the days when, you know, you bought a clinic from someone and then that veterinarian served as your mentor for just about everything. Um, in, in this day and age, 
It's just not, we're not restricted that way. It's a blessing to not have that anymore. And so I highly recommend that everybody expand that mentor network as far as you can, as wide as you can. Um, you know, my people that I would count as mentors include folks who work um, in the government relations division at the AVMA and practitioners um, at big clinics in Dallas and um, professional services veterinarians at IDEX and Merck and, you know, all these huge companies and international regulators. Um, there's just so many people that you can go to for little bits and little hints and little pieces of advice. Um, and, and whether you realize it or not, they're mentoring you. They're sharing information and, and uh, knowledge they have with you, um, hopefully freely. And, um, and they're trying to do it because they're motivated for you to be a better, better veterinarian and to be happier in your profession. Mm-hmm. So I guess inside of, instead of giving it a label, it's maybe like a person who provides guidance and encouragement and directs you to resources. Would you consider yourself in some form a mentor? Uh, I mean, in this podcast, you're giving guidance um, in any other way? I mean, I hope so. I hope I'm a mentor to people. Um, you know, at this meeting I was just at in Chicago, the Veterinary Leadership Conference, um, yeah, I do, you know, kind of one-off conversations during breaks. And I um, I talked to a veterinarian who she's a, um, a, a, practi- a swine practitioner. She uh, works for a, you know, a swine farm. Um, and the Associ- American Association of Swine Veterinarians is trying to set up um, a similar entity to the Early Career Development Committee that I talked about earlier. And she was just bouncing ideas off me asking, hey, how do we set this up? How do we, how does our first meet, what do we concentrate on in our first meeting? How do we populate it with people and so I'm again I'm not that much older than her I didn't you know I don't have a degree in setting up committees but I could just share my experiences and a lot of times that's the most valuable thing is is just telling people what you've already done what worked what didn't work and what ideas you might have to improve um, you know whatever it is they're talking about Um, so regardless of how early you are in your career you know even if you're a recent grad think about what you look like and what you are to pre-vet students you know or even like high school students you're on this just pedestal this mountain and you can do so much for for people in that situation um, with your experience so don't you know just because they're the you know the huge names in veterinary medicine and we may not be one of them you're still a big name to somebody so go out and and try to find those people and help them out as well mm-hmm. And any closing remarks, if you were to either talk to a veterinary student or recent grad, someone who's hesitant to get involved in veterinary medicine? Um, I know those are three different kinds of people. Um, So any other thing you feel like you haven't had a chance to say? Yeah, you know, we, the, the sentiment goes around quite a, quite a bit that veterinarians kind of fall into this bucket of, um, introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts. I can't remember how they lay it out, but you know, we, we kind of associate with other people when we want to, and we're usually, you know, we're always very smart and we're able to um, kind of get the gist of an argument quicker than a lot of other people. But sometimes we don't like, you know, associating with big groups of people all the time. And I, I definitely put myself in that, um, in that field, but 
you know, there's a lot to be said for forcing you to forcing yourself to do that. Um, I, I always hate the, uh, I hate the statement, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Cause you're not faking anything. You are who you are. You're not presenting yourself as anything else. But if, even if you don't see yourself as that, you know, extroverted type that goes out and on their own gets involved in organized vet med or goes out and mentors, um, you know, high school students who are interested in veterinary medicine, even if you don't picture yourself as that person, pretend to be that person one time, like, you know, can pretend you're an actor, you know, and that's, that's what your personality is. One that goes out and seeks those, um, those opportunities and kind of just goes through. No one's going to, in all my experience, no one's ever put me under the microscope and said, Hey, uh, I, you know, you've done all these great things. You volunteered your time. You've come to this committee meeting and put forth all this effort, but I don't think you're really who you say you are. No one acts like that. You know, no one's judging you harshly because you might not be the most dynamic speaker or, you know, the best writer or whatever your um, shortcomings may be. If you graduated from an accredited veterinary school, you know, and you're out there in the world, your input has value. Your ideas have a lot of value. And so don't downgrade that just because you think, oh, I'm not really the, the AVMA type or the volunteer type or the whatever type. It takes all types. That was Dr. Will McCauley. He works at the Animal Health Institute in D.C. If you're a recent graduate or veterinary student, don't wait to get involved in organized veterinary medicine. Hey, you could start today. For information about getting involved, please contact our office. Contact information will be in the show notes. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, we continue the mini-series for recent graduates by chatting with Dr. Michelle Boatwright. She was the 2017 TVMA Recent Graduate of the Year. She discusses mental health and the transition from veterinary school to entering the workforce. And I know that anxiety exists. It's real. Um, and we, we do have to address it because it is different in school than it is being out on our own. You'll learn how she coped with this transition and how she now helps current recent graduates during this often unsettling time. In the meantime, please rate the show and write a review. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. Mm-hmm.